Today on Lockdown Red Wings, is the general manager, Steve Eisman, untouchable? Your Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily J, WWJ News Radio podcast. Well, Scotty's the host over at Lockdown Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And today's episode is brought to you by, you guessed it, FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook. I did guess it. I was I'm thinking, proud. I was like, this episode's got to be brought to you by FanDuel. I, dude. I, you know, you're just so smart and you got good taste. Uh, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash lockdown today to get started. And Scotty, in today's episode, we're going to, this is a discourse. This is something that we brought up to each other off air a couple of weeks ago um, about whether or not it's okay. And this, this discourse began when Verona thing began, began, when he got waived. And we asked each other, like, should we talk about when it is becomes acceptable to, criticize Iserman and we said okay well we have the all-star break coming up all-star break came and got went and we didn't have a chance to talk about it but now it's back in the discourse again uh, on Twitter especially because Sean Shapiro tweeted out asking that very question and hey no episode or no game today so no better opportunity to talk about it than now then in segment three we'll do a game preview for the game against the Calgary Flames but I mean let's let's just air it out right off the bat here Scotty you know this is what year four of the Eisenman regime. He joined in 2019. 19, 2019 was yeah. his first draft. I, do you remember where you were? I remember where I was. I was watching TV at my old job at Hockeytown Authentics in Troy. And uh, I was watching the press conference. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But that's the, that just that whole day. I remember it was so surreal. I was working a, a, a job where I was um, with like a lot of customers, like face to face with a lot of customers all day. And I mean, for the next six hours like that day i just remember constantly everybody walking up oh like eiserman's back like he's back he's back that was really a surreal a surreal day for sure yeah absolutely it was it was a surreal day and i was super pumped about it ken holland initially stayed on as like an advisor or whatever it was and then like a week later was gone to edmonton um one of my best friends is a Red Wings fan first, and then an Oilers fan second. <laughs> and I remember just giving him a ton of heat <laughs> when they got Ken Allen. I was like, you can't get away from him. <laughs> yeah. So he obviously has a lot of cachet and had a lot of carte blanche coming in because, one, he took over a team that was in the pits. Uh, the yeah. Red Wings at that time were awful. Uh, this is now a team in transition, and we are beginning to want to see the fruits of the labor. And this discourse is happening where people are saying or beginning to become critical or in some people's opinions, not becoming critical enough of the moves Iserman has made up until this point. And I guess the question I want to ask first and foremost, Scotty, to you is, is Steve Iserman untouchable? No, that's preposterous. Like no one is, is untouchable. That's insanity. But I I think that there is a diff every Everyone has to like be so like super far into like the oh like he's absolutely untouchable and he can do nothing wrong or like the other extreme which is 
Like this, you have to be critical of everything he's done. He's provided nothing. He's like so overrated. This is terrible. Like you can be critical of moves and be optimistic about the direction the organization is headed. And that's where I find myself. I think that there, there has not been a single GM in the history of sports that has hit on every single move they've made. That's impossible. Like, I, I mean, you know, if you ask certain people, everybody has their own opinion. I would ask you as a listener to like literally pause the show right now and think to yourself, what percentage of moves does a GM need to hit on for me to consider them a good GM? Just think about that number in your head. Iserman has not missed often. He hasn't, but it is just as preposterous as to say oh this is awful and he's done nothing and there's been no improvement it's just as ridiculous to me to say oh he's shooting 100 percent as well because no gm ever has no front office ever has that's ridiculous and so the the goal is to head in the right direction hit on the big moves you make and take the correct chances the calculated risks hit on most of the calculated risks and it's more of a general, like on a bar graph, you want to, the dots may be all over the place, but you want a positive correlation. And I think that that's where we are. I, I think we're undeniably in a better place as a franchise now than we were when he took over. And we're still heading in a very positive direction. If you look in the immediate future of the next two or three years as well. It, it, but that, that doesn't mean that he's been a perfect GM because no one has. That's insane. He can be the best GM in hockey and not shoot hundred percent. So I can, I agree with you. I think that for the most part, Iserman still has done a really good job as general manager, Agreed. but this argument that you should or should not be able to criticize him. I, I tweeted it out earlier. So if you really want to know my answer, like I actually tweeted it out hours before actually by the time you're listening to this, a whole day before we talked about it, you're free to criticize anything that Iserman does and that no one is above criticism. And we gave carte blanche early. And even, even this off season, we were joking around saying, trust the eyes, your plan. But in all reality, every single move he does as general manager is open to criticism. And in fact, we were critical of him signing Ben Sherat, who we will talk about. I'm sure at a certain point in this podcast as one of the failings, so far, so far, at least somebody who he signed to a big contract who's vastly underperformed. But, you know, it's also important to know that, like you said, this team has taken steps forward each and every year he has been general manager. I mean, they bottomed out in what, 2019, 2020 season 1920, yeah. with a win percentage of like 0.291. The next season, it was 0.4 something. The next season was 0.49. This year so far, you're just above a 0.500. So it has been incremental improvements. But what I think is happening here, Scotty, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the frustration and the criticism is beginning to come out because now this is no longer a team that is expected to be in the basement. There is now an expectation set with this hockey team. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration begins is now this is a team in transition. When this was a basement dweller team, we could all freely joke around and say, trust the Iser plan because nothing mattered. Every move Iserman made was taking a flyer on a guy that may or may not pan out. Guys like Robbie Fabry, who we brought up a thousand times, panned out. He's turned into a pretty good middle six winger for the Detroit Red Wings. 
Guys like Brendan Perlini didn't work out. Guys like Eric Comrie didn't work out for the Red Wings. I mean, there are a thousand other guys whose names I can't even remember at this point who they took in on a flyer and then didn't work out. You remember Brome? Oh my God, Matthias Brome is a. I almost bought example. a Brome jersey, and I'm so <laughs> serious. You can go find the episode. It, it, it was Nolan and I. I'm it sure was I very early it. on, and I was like, I'm bagging a jersey by the end of the year. So my point being here is. Early on, it was easy to just sit back, relax, and trust the Iser plan because there were no expectations at that time. The reason why now it's it's becoming a little bit more accentuated, this, this idea that to criticize, and Iserman should have always been open to criticism because now there's implications beside, behind the moves he's making. The signings he made in this free agency are going to have impact on this team in, on the future. You know, the, the draft picks that he's making are going to very soon have huge impacts on this team for the future coming. So yeah, it's okay to criticize Steve Eiserman and the moves that he makes, but it's also important to realize, like you said, everyone is so far on either side. Like either every move he's made has been a bust or just absolutely blindly trusted. No, no one's perfect. No legit people brought up Joe Sackick. How how long was he the general manager of the Colorado avalanche before they became this powerhouse? How long was Eiserman? the general manager of the Tampa Bay lightning before they became two time Stanley cup winners and three time Stanley cup final appearances in his tenure as GM. And he got there and he already had uh Steven Stamkos. And I think he had, it was either Hedman or Kucherov. I can't remember which guy he had off the top of my head. I'm sorry, bad fan in me, but he already had those two guys, but they made the playoffs, missed the playoffs, went to the Stanley cup final, went to the conference final, then missed the playoffs. They were an up and down team. Rebuilds aren't linear. Like you said, like you said, like it's not all about the dots, man. So I guess my question to you is like, do you think that the criticism is like warranted? Do you think it's, it's warranted at this point with where this team is at for the criticism to begin to flow? We should go to break first. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll ask you, I'll re-ask you that question. <laughs> Cause unless you want to break at the 13 and a half minute mark on today's show, I think we should probably roll it. That's now. fair. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. I, I cheese that, that one really up for you. really enthusiastic, man. Yeah, I cheese that one up for you. Uh, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Lockdown because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. There's so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NHL. Segment two, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Scotty, let me re-ask the question I asked before I got to the break. When it comes to criticism and criticizing Steve Eiserman's moves, at what point in your eyes is it like acceptable to become critical of the decisions he is making as general manager? Uh, the second that he put pen to paper and decided to become the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. I, I, I don't think that there's... You, you can be critical of every individual move in a vacuum. That's the point. That's... Everybody, if there was one way to build a championship winning team, everyone would be 
incredible all the time. And like everyone would be fighting to follow the one path, but there's not. Every player is it's is their own individual, unique like set of skills and stuff. And there is a million different ways to build a winner. And that's what makes the job so difficult and so fascinating. And so everyone is not only going to have, but should have their own subjective opinion on how uh, a team is being built or on how, uh, if they like or don't like an individual move or trade. The first move he ever made, you can have, you you can criticize if you dislike (laughs) it. You, you, you know, what's funny is we talk about how we're all like trust the eyes plan. And this, this rang true when he drafted him, but there was a fair amount of criticism when it happened as well. And so, you know, we may have this like revisionist history where we talk about how we've always been blindly following him and we all joked trust the plan, but the moment he drafted more at cider, people were critical of that. People said it was a reach. I said it was a reach because he was so much lower on the most people's draft boards. So there's always been criticism of Steve Iserman. It's just kind of been washed over with the, well, let's get, and let's be honest, trust the Iser plan was always just code for let's give him time. Let him cook. For sure. And now he's cooking and we're starting to see what dishes come out onto the, no, onto but the table. It, right. It, it's not it, – it's hard for me to articulate, like, where I stand. Like, I think it's so ridiculous that the that the two, like, polarizing sides are, like, everything is, is bad. And this <laughs> – like, this is uh, – you know, I'm critical of everything he does. And I haven't liked a move he's made in years. And this organization's not in a good place. And he hasn't done a good job versus, like, I have blind faith and will not be critical of anything. Like – I again, I think the organization is in a significantly better spot than it was when he took over. I think he's one of the best GMs in this sport, and I think he is proving that. I think we are trending in a great direction, but that doesn't mean that he just like got a free pass for three years. Like he earned a lot of it, he made a lot of good moves. I think he's made arguably more good moves than bad moves. I, I, I think he has limited the the mistakes or bad moves that he has made have been surrounded by like concrete walls right so like if there's an explosion it's like okay that's that's limited damage like it's not going to hinder us he hasn't made a move that has set back the plan going forward it's been like in a vacuum oh like obviously you mentioned earlier like we talk about Sherat that doesn't look great so far is the the Ben Sherat contract or having him on the team going to prevent the Red Wings from taking the next step in their development in this rebuild? No, that's that's ridiculous to think. If he does everything else well, now if it's that, piled on with another one, piled on with another one, that's a, that, that's a different mm-hmm. conversation. Like that's a, that, that's a stretch of poor moves. Like this is a what have you done for me lately position, but you, but you also have to look at the last four years and the trend, and it is undeniably – trending upwards and has taken steps upward pretty much every single year. And it's not only the production at the NHL level. Like I I want consistent maintained success. I talk about with this, with the Detroit Tigers all the time, like you, all the best organizations in sports are, are deep. They have insane organizational depth. That's what makes them so incredible. And in a salary cap sport, that makes it even more valuable. Because you need to, oh, I can't pay that person, whatever. Like, we're going to let them walk because we're confident that we can fill that hole. And, again, undeniably, do you remember what this, like, farm system was when Ken Holland left? 
I think you bring up a really good point it by asking that question. Horrid. It was terrible. It was dry. It was barren. So like that, that's the cost of winning championships, mind you. Yeah, a lot of times it is. Absolutely. I, I, I'm not, you know, the, the Ken Holland era is a different, like, that, that was what it was, but like. It's a different conversation. Different pretty episode. much given <laughs> discreet instructions to just keep the street going as long as possible. And, you know, whatever, like that. that's how he did that. But th this was a, a horrible NHL team that was trending downwards and a, a, a and zero farm, zero prospects to look forward to really at all. Like the, the young players on the team that you had to look forward to had already made the NHL. Like Larkin had been up for a, whatever, a couple of years by then. Like Burt had just come up. Like Mantha. Like you, that that was that, – that they had already debuted. So like Iserman has, has not only improved the NHL team, po trending positively pretty much each of the last three years, but the farm has also, I, I think, undeniably gotten better over each of the last three years too. Both things that make up an organization are trending upwards. And like, it, it, it's just, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's weird to me that we have to be like all in or all out. We can just be like, okay, each move, we should be critical of each move. Like that, that's absolutely true. Uh, but we can also see that the direction we're heading is good. You know, I, I kind of touched on this at the beginning of the episode, Scotty. And this frustration that Red Wings fans are having, this, this beginning of becoming critical of the moves Iserman has made, you know what it is? is it, it's a good thing. Because if you're becoming, there's no general manager in history, and you've you said this, and there's no general manager in history that is perfect. That just doesn't happen. Unless you're Ken Holland in the 0-2 season with no salary cap, and you can just bring in Hall of Famers. Outside of that season, it does not happen. And so when you're seeing fans get frustrated during this transitional period when the team's no longer just accumulating draft picks, but actually trying to take that step forward, the frustration means that Eisenman has built this team to a point where fans are expecting improvement. And we have seen improvement. And I'm not going to talk in a circle. We've already touched on that. We have seen improvement. But if we're getting to a point where we're being frustrated and we're being critical of the good moves he's made, obviously drafting Sider and drafting Raymond, those were phenomenal picks. Sider's a true number one defenseman, and he's had an incredible bounce back since pairing with Wallman. He's the Calder winner. Raymond might just be the best player from his draft class between him and Stutzla. It's hard to tell, but he took him fourth, and the Wings should have had the first overall draft pick. Then you couple that with the bad things. The bad things being... Obviously, the Ben Chirot signing looks like it's not going to age very well, at least this far. He, thus far, he's he's underperforming for sure. Uh, other guys you brought in are still up for debate. You know, people debate whether or not Kubalik was worth it at two and a half million. We kind of agree that, <laughs> but he doesn't play a lot of defense. Or people much more of a debate than Kubalik will. He's going to be one that we agree is going to take a little bit more time because of the core surgery. We're willing to give him I, like I a full year to judge, and he's been playing better lately. But, you know, he made some sign. He, took, he ate up a lot of the available cap space this last free agency in an attempt to try and roster an actual NHL team because last season they had nobody. And so he did something he doesn't normally do, which is sign a lot of guys in free agency, which, mind you, a lot of those contracts are going to expire, like Peron, Olimata, Kubelik. They're not long contracts. So it's not like it's going to be eating a ton of cap space at the, in the long term. And they have a lot of cap space coming up. So the cap structure of this team is still looking very good. Yeah. Um, 
So like, but he has made bad moves. Obviously, we just mentioned Sherat. We mentioned um, Perlini didn't work out. I, I I would hesitate to call the Verona trade a bad move because Mantha's been a healthy scratch with Washington. You got a first and a second round pick out of it as well, including yeah. Madison Bauer, who you did flip for no way that's a bad move. <laughs> the, and you couldn't have Good known move. what would happen with Verona. That is all just like well, that's, even that's, you can't predict that. Even you know whatever happens with Verona, that's a good trade. Like that's yeah. that's you got a first round pick out yeah, of it. Yeah, you got a first and a second. Like that's yeah, and a player that looked like he could be a budding star. It hasn't worked out right. that and way. And still, it's really unfortunate. Like, you know, who knows the? No one knows Verona's future, but like that, that's still like objectively, I think, like a, yeah, a great trade. Yeah, it's definitely not in the bad category. But my point being here is that this frustration is a good thing because it means that this team is a team in transition. It is a team that is improving and fans want more. And that is a good thing. The fact that we want more means that this team is getting better and that we just want them to continue to get better. I think being critical to Eiserman and being realistically critical, not like crazy critical. Be critical of, like, of every move. Yeah. You should be. But, but like, I mean, like in the realm of realism, don't be like, no, but that, that's I mean. my don't be crazy. Point. Like you, you, Everyone should be critical of, of every move or, or like put under a microscope or have their own opinion on every single move. You can be critical of every move and be like, oh, is that smart? Is that dumb? Whatever. And and there's a difference between moves in a vacuum and big picture. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time, I guess, and haven't articulated very well. Like that's there's a huge difference between being critical of, of individual moves as they happen and going, oh, I don't know about that, I don't know about that, or that's not going to work out, or I disagree with that, versus taking a step back, looking at the big picture, and going, okay, well, this is a team that has like very clearly been trending in the right direction over the last three years and is continuing to do so, presumably. Absolutely. Let's take another quick break. Got to talk to you guys today about Built Bar, and then when we come back, uh, I, I, you mentioned the big picture thing, and that is something I want to hammer home. Um, but first, Built Bars. Looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, and you got to try Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier. I made it to the gym again, Scotty, two days in a row. I'm trying to get back on track. Did 20 minutes on the stair stepper. I thought my heart was going to come out my mouth. It was beating so fast. But I had motivation to come home in the form of a Built Bar. Those cookies and cream puffs, man, ever since we got those as a sample, they've been a staple in my cabinet, and that's because they're so good. Covered in 100% real chocolate, and of course, they're not the lone flavors that taste amazing. You got churro, you got peanut butter brownie, you got coconut almond, and I'm not sure how Bill does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need a weight to get a box. For years, we've been talking about Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head to Walmart, get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. Go to Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box. Buy in bulk when you go to Sam's Club. Uh, with brownie batter or churro, you'll thank us later. Go to Built.com, go to Sam's Club, or go to Walmart. You will not regret it. Segment three, Locked On Red Wings podcast. Scott Bentley. Fisher. You said that so softly. Whispering sweet Ryan nothings in my Fisher. ear. No, I don't like that. Go back to the sweet nothings. Um, you brought up a fantastic point in the big picture thing. And the point of this episode is, and we, we kind of had a little clickbaity title with, uh, is Steve Eisman untouchable? 
we both agree that you can be critical and it's good to be critical of Iserman when moves are made. But I, we're both in agreement that this team is headed in a good direction still. It may take way longer than any of us want us want it to. It, it that's just nothing at any level. Like I, 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 I'm impatient too. I want to win yeah. immediately too. But you hurt us after every single game when they right, lose. We we're literally just get, yeah. We like we our jobs are to just complain about how we want more. <laughs> like that's literally what we do for a living. So like. I, I promise it, it's way more fun to cover good teams than bad teams. Like we, we want it more than anybody, but it, it, it's look what? at like the history of turnarounds and rebuilds and stuff. Like he was giving literally nothing and what, like there's, there's two players from like when he took over that are like still around in Rasmussen. Rasmussen was a, ho- a Holland draft oh, pick, right, as, was, Rass, and, yeah. as was Valeno and Zidane. Right, that was the same draft, yeah. Yeah, the 2018 and 2017 were those those guys. Right, so it's just like, I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about, you can count them on one hand. Like, the amount of people that have, like, maintained through this. Like, he was given nothing. And Horonic, oh. too. We're starting to add on. So, two Hironic. two hands. <laughs> yes, I, sure. I mean, st- for sure. it's just he he was given so little to work with and has gotten us to a point with where where there is constant growth like don't don't blindly follow like obviously don't don't blindly follow anyone ever like (laughs) like we can go big picture we're not talking about sports just like that that's that's wild to me like i I wouldn't do that to anyone but it, it it just it doesn't it but okay so I, I agree with what you're saying. And we, I mean, I feel like I say, I agree with you every single episode because I usually do. Um, but when you say the big picture stuff, I wanted to bring this up. And this is a key point. When you're talking about this team that Steve Eiserman has built, you have to realize that this is not the final product. How many Steve Eiserman draft picks are currently playing for the Detroit Red Wings, Scotty? Oh yeah. Well, the, I think the, I mean, kind of same question worded differently. Like, how many draft picks are we excited about that are are waiting in the wings? You like, mentioned earlier how full this cabinet is now. There's still right. we have yet to see this. Steve, and Steve Eiserman is a staunch believer of building through the draft. So while it's okay, a okay to be critical of him on every single movie he's made, you also have to keep in mind this is not his final product. He's still working his magic. He's still cooking, so to, as the kids say. Um, you know, Marco Casper's a guy he just took first round, but you go drafts earlier than that. You know, uh, Carter Mazur, fantastic season with Denver. You have Amadeus Lombardi who just signed his ELC. Elmer Soderblom made the team. Uh, and he was another guy that was a sixth round draft pick. Obviously you, you have Jonathan Berger which I think he, was he a Holland draft pick or was he, I can't quite remember. I think he might've been 2018. So that might've been a Holland draft pick. So that's not even an Eiserman draft pick. There are still so many Eiserman draft picks who have not yet debuted at the NHL level who are getting close. William Wallander, um, Donovan Sobrongo, you know, guys, Albert Johansson, who's having a great year down there with Grand Rapids, Simon Edvinson. This team has a cabinet full of Eiserman draft picks who have yet to make the difference. And when those guys start becoming an everyday NHL player on the Red Wings roster, that is when I think it becomes more imperative that this team takes a large step forward. Because if those guys don't work out, then you can start saying, okay, Eiserman, the big believer of building through the draft, his draft picks haven't worked out. But every single cross Hannes, every single indication that we have so far on these draft picks, Scotty, 
is that they look like and they are trending towards being Detroit Red Wings. I mean, I would be shocked if Almadeus Lombardi does not sign. Actually, he did sign his ELC. It's Carter Mazur who I'm waiting to sign his ELC on. These guys, we haven't even seen Iserman's image of what this team should be, this his picture of what this team should be to the fullest yet. And so, well, yes, be critical of his free agent signings, but keep in mind that even your cops and your uh, Ben Sherratt's are meant to be on the last year or two of their deals when this team is supposed to be Stanley Cup contenders because that's when the players that Iserman has drafted are supposed to be in the NHL. We, we haven't even seen an... Well, I shred of right. what this and again, team is supposed like to the, look like. The way that the cap is structured too, like there's just, there's so much flexibility and there's so many moves that this team can, is, can still and will still make over the next 24 months. So like, I, I don't know. I, like I said earlier, I, I just, I, I very much think it, you shouldn't blindly like just follow and just be like, Oh yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> not going to be critical or even analyze any move he makes because I just fully trust it. But at the same time, the the other extreme I, I think is, is just like off base as well. Like this, this organization is heading in, in a much better direction as a lot more hope than they did when, when he took over. And um, I, I don't know. I, I do not trust Ken Holland to do what Iserman has done over the last three years. I mean, did you see that Duncan Keith contract that he signed him to last season? Uh, anyways, we have to do a game preview of the Calgary Flames, big Edmonton Oilers rivals who the Red Wings just yep. played. Uh, so good. The Battle of Alberta. Yeah, great series that was. Great, dude. But Calgary Flames are, what's fifth in their division, but they're pretty well above 500 so far, but they're playing in a tough Pacific division. That Pacific division is probably as tough i wouldn't say as tough but maybe a a slight step down in difficulty as the atlantic division definitely one of the toughest in the nhl calgary flames are no slouch they have taken a step back this year much like the florida panthers who are involved in that big breaking trade uh where they acquired huberto and Mackenzie weger for kachuk they did also lose goudreau so calgary flames shuffling around of superstars on their roster have taken a step back but they're still a very good hockey team they have Elias Lindholm, who's their team leader in points, 46 points in 50 games played. Tyler Toffoli, 43 points in 51 games played. They're second in the league in Corsi 4, and that they, they get a lot of shots on net. But their goaltending is probably their biggest weakness. Uh, their main goal, star, goal starter, what the heck is that? Their main starter in net, goalie Jacob Markstrom, has a save percentage of 892. Well, Dan Vladder, who's their backup, has actually been pretty impressive at 906. But goaltending and defense seem to be struggling, and offense as well. I mean, they got a lot of shots on that, but they're not converting a whole lot, it feels like. Yeah, for sure. I I still really like this Flames team, to be yeah, honest. Their with jerseys. You. even Well, yes, for sure. I, I, I still like the roster, I guess I should say. Uh, but I, I, I still really like where this team is at. Obviously, they, they took a big hit in the offseason, but – they're right there. I think they're tied. Did you say? Did you say where they were at in the in the wild card? I didn't. Uh, picture. No. I'm pretty sure they're tied with the Avalanche, but I think they have a couple of games in hand on on the Avs. So maybe that's uh, not fair to bring up. But they're really close. They're right on the cusp of like that wild card. They're right. I think three points back from Edmonton in in the Pacific. So like they're right still on the cusp. They uh th- they still have a lot of really like 
electric, honestly, young pieces. Like, that was not just a top-heavy, you know, one-man team last year. Obviously, losing Goudreau is just going to be a hit in general. But, like, they, they still have a lot of really nice pieces. So, uh, I, I, you know what? I, the Wings are, are home dogs. And, like, I totally understand why. I think that that's totally fair to, to be – uh, to put the wings as home underdogs here. I, I, I really like the flames and, and I think the biggest thing that jumps off when looking, you know, we do like our team stats kind of where they fall. You talked about the Corsi four percentage. Uh, it's a really good penalty kill, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we, we talk about a lot how the special teams have uh, made or bre- broke. I don't know why I said it past tense like that. They make or break a lot of uh, a lot of Red Wings games, and I, you know, this could be one where it's no different. Um, they they do find themselves in the penalty box a lot. They're they're in the bottom ten in the league in pims, but they're in the top five, I think, in penalty kill. So uh, that's going to be kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a tall task, amongst other things. Where you already mentioned they. Uh, the, the wings definitely first and foremost need to do well five on five, but uh, behind the eight ball and that and special teams going into it might be kind of a bleak look. We talk a lot about uh, the, the, the kids. I don't know where I was going with that. Let me restart that. Sentence. I don't know either, dude. Let me restart that sentence. That was crazy. I was talking a lot about how they took a step back this year and I don't want to color it as in they're a bad team. I, cause when I say that I'm comparing it to how dominant they were last season. No. Oh yeah. 100%, they, they took a step 100%. back in comparison to how dominant they were last season, but they're still a playoff. It's like when we talk about the wings, and they're defense. still better than the red wings in every regard. <laughs> like when we talk it, about the wings defense. Yeah. Last year it was really bad this year. It's better, but it's like still bad. Yeah. They're, 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 they're Corsi against is middle of the pack and they're Corsi four is top half of the league. They, they're not like the best of the best, but they're still a playoff contender easily in pretty much every regard. And like you said, uh, the Red Wings are home dogs because they're they're still a better team than the Detroit Red Wings. So let's go through our FanDuel Sportsbook odds. You have the Calgary Flames have plus odds at for minus one and a half goals. And the Red Wings, obviously, that means they have minus odds at plus one and a half goals. Try to say that as clean as I can. Are you taking uh, Calgary minus one and a half for the dog on that? Or Detroit Red Wings plus one and a half as the favorite? I think I would not put any units on either of those if I were a betting man. Um, but if you made me choose, I would probably just take the plus money. So you're going to take Calgary Flames minus one and a half? If I had to choose, yes. But I'm I think my choose. first choice would be not to go on either of those because I think that that's a really close call. It is a really close call. And... Hmm... I'm going to take the Red Wings on this one plus one and a half. I think that they're going to, I think they're going to find the back of the net a little bit more than they did in the last game because the goaltending for Calgary is struggling in this and they're, they are at home. Now the money line is Calgary favored Red Wings dogs at home. Yeah. The see, like I'm going to kind of flip here. I, I think it, again, like if you were to, to take either of these, I think it would make more sense to take the Red Wings at home and get plus money for it. I think that that makes more sense from a, like from a betting perspective, but 
Uh, I don't know. I, I really, I don't, I don't think I'd touch this game. Period. <laughs> to be honest I, with you, this is a really like weird game to to bet on. You would have to be pretty confident in your in your picks. I'll flip and I'll say uh, I'll take the Calgary at money line. So Calgary to win, but the Red Wings to keep it within a goal and a half, essentially. Sure. Um, now over under set to six right now. Both are minus odds. Uh, over under six. Um. I'll say over. I'll lead. I'll say over. Over six. Okay, I'll take the under then. I think over six is pretty easy to hit in the NHL this day. Scoring's up in the league this year, and both goaltenders are going through rough patches. So I think over six is easy. Uh, okay. Any final thoughts? We ball. We ball. We'll be back tomorrow with a game recap. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. Every day.